Hey, welcome. It is good to be with you this weekend. I want to give a shout out to everybody who's joining us on the other side of the camera at our Pewaukee campus and wherever you're joining us on our online campus. It's good to be here. It is officially fall, y'all. Everybody enjoying it. The weather's cooling down. The leaves are changing. It looks great outside, breaking out those cardigans, the boots, and pumpkin spice is back. Any pumpkin spice fans in the room? People excited? PTL. For PSL, that's praise the Lord for pumpkin spice lattes, okay? It's a good, good season. You know, you can get pumpkin spice like anything. Throw that in front of anything. You get pumpkin spice chips. I saw pumpkin spice waffles. You get pumpkin spice beer or even, I saw this, I'm not kidding, pumpkin spice spam. Pumpkin spice spam. Anybody, anybody going to try that? That's, that's too far. That's just too far. That kind of grosses me out a little. I'm not, I'm not trying that. But it's not just about the leaves or the pumpkin spice. It's spooky season. It is spooktober, right? The scary movies are coming out in theaters. Your neighbor's lawn is looking a little creepy, right? The decorations. Maybe you're trying to figure out what you're going to do for your trunk, not to scare too many kids away. It's spooky season. And we've been in this series called Ghost Stories. Well, we're looking at, honestly, some... Some spooky stories, some spooky texts in the Bible that deal with some unique things like spiritual warfare, angels and demons, and uh, next week, uh, mediums, just weird, unique stuff. And I want to preface before we kind of get into it, maybe if you're newer and you're thinking, man, why did I come this week? Can you let me know when the series is over? I'll come back after that. This is just a little too weird for me. We're not like talking about these things. We're not trying to like scare anybody about these stories that are in the Bible. But here's the thing. We want to be aware, right? We want to be aware and prepared. And so first of all, we're just glad you're here and and that you chose to make River Glen a part of your weekend. And and we just want to encourage you to to come back next week as we we wrap up this series. Because here's the thing. We want to be aware and prepared. We want to be aware of, of, of these things that we don't always talk about, the things seen, the things unseen. And we want to be prepared for maybe how we can respond to those things if we were ever to, right, encounter or experience that kind of stuff. We also want to be aware of the good side, right, and be encouraged that we have a God who is fighting for us. First Peter 5.8 says this, it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It's a little intense, and we want to be prepared for this prowling lion. I remember uh, I was on a hike a little, little while ago. I was out visiting family in California, and we were on a hike. And about five minutes into the hike, uh, my mom says, uh, hey, just so you know, here's what we need to do if we see a mountain lion. And I was like, hold up. Like, you, like this wasn't like a conversation pre-hike. Like, we're in it, mom. Like, you didn't set me up with the option. Like, what's the percentage? What's the chance that we meet said mountain lion that you know about, right? You know what you're supposed to do if you see a mountain lion, if you're around a mountain lion? You're supposed to act big. Start waving your hands, jumping up and down, screaming. My mom even said if there's two of you, she goes, you could jump on the other person's shoulders. So I looked at my wife and I'm like, do you think you could carry me? I, like, I don't know what we would do in said situation. And I'm like, mom, I'm not jumping and waving my arms at a mountain lion. That seems a little inviting, you know? Like I'm running, I'm setting a new PR, I'm out of there. I'm booking it. I might help my wife get to the car too, but I'm gone. I'm taking off. But she was trying to, in this moment, 
prepare us for a potential experience, the, the, the chance, the just in case. Hey, there's some outlines in the area, got to be prepared. And in the same way, when it comes to the devil, the enemy, he's got a strategy. He's got a game plan. And we want to be prepared for his tactics. We want to be prepared for what he's got. And today's story that we're going to be looking at today, it deals with demonic possession. And when some of us think of that, maybe we think, oh yeah, that's real, we believe in it. Some of us, maybe not so much. Some of us just think of maybe what we've seen in some scary movies that we've seen. But I want to be very candid with you before we kind of get into the text and unpack it a little bit. I, I think that the devil and demons are real. I believe that they are real. Demonic possession is a real thing. However, it may not be something that you are as familiar or we are as familiar with maybe in our culture, right, in comparison to maybe uh, people in South America or East Africa or even in American charismatic Christian traditions. But it is nonetheless very real. It's also important to note that there is a big difference between demonic possession, demonic oppression, and demonic influence. Demonic influence maybe being the one that we would all most encounter or be able to relate to. But what happens often when we talk about demons and, and demonic uh, uh, possession is, is maybe we could swing to either end of the pendulum. Right? We can either ignore it altogether or we can focus too heavily in on it. I love what C.S. Lewis says. It says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Here's what he's getting at. The devil, demons, they're all real, but they're not the root cause of everything, right? For me, I got problems of my own that I can't just blame the devil for. I got my own stuff. Although I will say uh, this morning, we had a, a, a little snake in the kids' hallway. Your children are safe, I promise. But we had a little snake crawling around. And now I'm not saying that's the devil, but I also don't know that it wasn't, okay? I'm just going to leave that there. He has since left the building. We sent some people after him. It has been taken care of. Your children are safe, I promise you. But here's the thing. When Jesus teaches about the devil, when he teaches us about the devil, the number one thing that he's trying to get us to understand is that he's a liar, is that he's a deceiver, is that he's tricky, is that he's trying to convince us, he's trying to get us to buy and believe a lie about God, or about ourselves. Notice the first question that the devil ever asks in the Bible. Did God really say that? From the very beginning of time, he's trying to convince us and sell us on something else. And so sometimes his move to deceive us might be demonic oppression, might be demonic influence. And maybe if he can get a foothold in our lives, it might be demonic possession. But it may not be something that we all experience, especially in Western America. And I think in part it's because he's got so many other areas, so many other ways that he can get us. 
so many other ways that he can get a foot in and, and, and deceive us. Right from money to, to power, relationships, even technology. All sorts of things that the enemy is aware of and he knows he can use them against us. And maybe the devil's greatest trick to quote Kaiser Soze from the usual suspects. He says, nobody believed he was real. That was his power. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. So let me be clear. I think the devil's real. I don't think he's like some little red creature with a trident who's like out to poke us and potentially possess us. But he's real. He's a liar. And he's a deceiver. And we want to be prepared for his tactics. Today's story, we're going to be camping out in a story in Luke 8. And it's going to be about a guy who's in trouble. I would venture to say that he no longer has this struggle, but the struggle has him. And that's for all of us, where sin or addiction or something in our life escalates. When I no longer have this issue, but the issue has me, and we're in a lack of control. But everything changes for this man when he meets Jesus. I'm going to jump right in. Luke 8, starting in verse 26, it says this. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasene. This is Jesus and his disciples, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission, and the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demon had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all of the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. I mean, I'm not the only one who's thinking this story's a little weird, right? Like, it's different, okay? I don't remember this episode in Veggie Tales. It's just a, a, a unique story, right? Like, what is going on in this text? I think there's a lot to unpack here. But I think what we get in this story is an insight to some of the devil's tactics, some of the areas in our life that he wants to pry into, that he wants to attack us. And so we want to be prepared 
for these attacks. And so I want to give you three insights that I think we can be ready for in, in, in looking at the enemy's tactics. The first one is isolation. Isolation. We don't like to be alone, right? Maybe you like alone time, but we don't like to be alone. We don't, we don't want to do life alone. We don't want to feel lonely, right? I mean, think of, of all the iconic duos in the world, right? Who would they be without their counterpart, right? Who would they be, right? You've got people uh, like uh, Timon and Pumbaa, Right, Hakuna Matata, who would they be without each other? There'd probably be some worries, you know, without each other. You got Goose and Maverick. You got Frodo and Sam. Frodo would probably be dead without Sam. I'm just saying. You got Batman and Robin. Robin would just be some dude, you know, doing gymnastics, which is cool. It's his thing, but, you know, that's okay. Then you got Batman. That's a great upgrade. You got Ben and Marnie, right? Like, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Ben's not here. Ben, you're not here, right, this weekend. It's, it's a joke. I love you. Here's the thing. We weren't intended to do life alone. The enemy knows that. He wants, us to get, he wants to get us alone. He wants us to start living right in, in loneliness, not surrounded by people. And this man had found himself in that situation. He had been outcast by the city to hide in the caves. He had been left alone without people that he could turn to, people to comfort and encourage. And many of us, we're alone because of other people. Some of us, we're, we're just alone because it's easier. It's easier to go through life keeping to ourselves and not being in community. And the enemy wants that to continue. He wants us to live in isolation. He wants us to feel like we have no one to turn to. He wants us to carry shame without anybody to share it with. He wants us to fill that empty void with anything and everything but God and godly unity. But it's in this moment that Jesus shows up. That Jesus' eyes are locked in on this man. He sees what everybody else hasn't been seeing, and he, and he pays attention to him, and he extends a hand. He invites him to something greater. He invites him to be a part of something. He invites him to no longer live a life without purpose and without community. But the enemy doesn't stop there. The second thing is identity. Isolation and identity. Jesus asks his name, and the man replies, and he says, Legion. See, he's been so overtaken that he no longer has control of his own identity. He's not even able to share his own name. It is now th this possession that's speaking for him. And he says, legion. And then the story escalates and it gets a little weirder. And the demon asks to be sent into this herd of pigs. And, and oddly enough, Jesus like approves the request. It enters the pigs and all of a sudden we end up with $2 million worth of bacon at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. It takes this weird turn. And, and for me, I read that and I'm like, Why? Why is this in here? What, what does this have to do with Jesus? Why, why are the pigs? Why this, what, what is that all about? And honestly, I, I don't really know why it's included. I don't know the full purpose, why that's in there. I don't think that Jesus is like anti-pigs. I don't think that Jesus wanted these pigs to drown. I don't even know if he knew that that would be the result. But I do think it was a risk that he was willing to take. If he could save this man... We got to sacrifice some of the, we, we're going to lose some of these pigs. You could call it foolish, ignorant. You could call it economically unwise. You could call it what it is. It's loving. It's Jesus seeing this man and saying, no, 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 I'm going to determine your worth. I'm going to determine your value. Recently, uh, 
McDonald's came out with uh, this adult Happy Meal. Anybody see the, the adult Happy Meals? Anybody go get those? I had to go try one. I had to go get one. You get the little box. You get like a Big Mac or nut. You get a toy. You get the, the old school toys. The ham. I really want a hamburger. I got Grimace, like the purple guy. I'm trying to make it like my daughter's new favorite toy and have her, have her play with it. My wife doesn't love that too much. But people were willing to buy these Happy Meals, it's like 10 bucks, which you could go get better food. You could get cheaper food at McDonald's for that much. But people were willing to pay. Some stores even said they sold out of the Happy Meal boxes on day one. They sold out of the toys on day two. You know what that tells me? People thought that this thing was valuable. People thought that this thing was worth it. You want to know the value of something? It's how much someone's willing to pay for it. And so the next time you start to question your identity... The next time you start to question your value and your worth, can I encourage you that Jesus decided you were worthy long before you could ever prove him right or wrong? That Jesus decided you were good enough, that he saw something of value so much so that he was willing to pay a high price so that he could have a relationship with you, so that you would know that your identity is not in the things you've done, not in the things of this world, not in the pain that you've been through that you've seen other people go through, but your identity is only in and through Jesus. You are not your mistakes. You are not your struggle. You are not what you've been through. You are a child of God who has that struggle. What may be true about you is not the truth about you. Your identity is not in who the enemy says you are. Your identity and your value and your worth is in who Jesus says you are. But the enemy doesn't stop there. The third and final one is insignificance. Isolation, identity, and insignificance. This whole scene happens. The town freaks out. And they pretty much kick Jesus out. They're like, go, this is too much for us. And so Jesus gets in the boat. And the man that he healed, did you notice that? He tried to go with him. He tried to get in the boat. He tried to leave the town that he's from. And Jesus says no. Why? Because he wanted this man to now become the missionary in this town. To go back to the dark place that he had come from and share the good news of the radical hope and healing of Jesus Christ that he had experienced. He wanted this man to feel equipped and significant to be a missionary in his neighborhood. And many of us, man, we can feel like the things we've been through, we want to run from it. We want to hide from it. We don't want to, want to, want to deal with it or unpack it. We think, man, I need a fresh start. I just, I just need to wipe, wipe, wipe the slate clean, right? I want to start over. But maybe God is saying, hey, I actually want to send you. I want to send you back to the places that you've come from so that you can encounter and encourage people who are in the same place that you once were. Maybe your pain that you've experienced can become your purpose for life. Maybe the mistakes that you've made can actually fuel your message. Maybe the things that you've been through can be what helps other people get through. And I can't tell you how many people come to our church or, or encounter Jesus, not because of a billboard or a social media ad, but because of other people. People meeting Jesus because of other people. That's the whole mission. And God is inviting us to be a part of it. He's saying, you're not insignificant. Your story matters, and I want to send you out. I want to send you back. The enemy's got tactics. He's got a strategy. And so we're going to respond. We're going to run defense 
on his game plan, okay? And so for isolation, here's what we're going to do. For isolation, we're going to be in community. That's why we value groups so much, because we believe there is power in being together with other people. The enemy trembles at the thought of godly unity. Every time we're about to launch Alpha or Rooted or other groups, he's afraid because he knows there is power in that. So we want to invite you. Maybe you've never been in a group before. Maybe, maybe you took a break and, and, and you're thinking, man, I, I need to get back into community. We've got groups for everybody. If you're looking for a group to, uh, to be with people who are going through kind of the same season of life as you, we got it. If you're looking to dive into the Bible, we got it. If you're looking to just kind of discover, like, who God is, if you're new to this whole Jesus thing, we got it. If, if, if you got some, some things that you're wrestling with, some things that you can't seem to break, we've got it. We've got groups for everybody. So I want to invite you. Head on out to the Connect Wall after service. Let's find a group for you. Let's get you around people. We were not intended to go alone. For identity, we're going to commit to growing spiritually. We're going to commit to reminding ourselves of who God is and who we are because of him. We can do this two ways. We can do it weekly and we can do it daily. We do it weekly by being in God's word, discovering more about who he is, what the Bible has to say about us. And, we get, and, and we're going to do this We're going to do this daily by being in the Word. We're going to do this weekly by being in God's house, by being in community, by being surrounded by other people, worshiping together, celebrating what God has done in the good and in the bad. And then for insignificance, we're going to respond by serving, living on mission, living on purpose, and more importantly, sharing your story. Your story matters. Your story is important, and God wants to invite you to be a part of his mission of reaching people. He wants you to be a part of it. Share your story, because your story matters. When I look at this text, when I look at this encounter that this man had with Jesus, really what I'm trying to get at is that Jesus is greater. Whatever it is in your life, Whatever it is that you're going through, that you've been through, Jesus is greater. I love what Jesus says in John 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is trying to invite us to to life to the fullest with him. And we see that in this story. But I also think... In reading the story, I notice I don't think the story began when Jesus got off the boat. I think the story really starts when Jesus got into the boat. If you go back to the section right before Luke 8, starting in verse 22, it says this. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. They went out and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Here's two things that I noticed. One, I don't think that Jesus stumbled upon this man who had been possessed. Now, maybe he didn't know that he was there at the other, at the other side of the sea, but he definitely didn't stumble upon it. He definitely was not surprised, right? He says, hey, let us go to the other side. 
He went there on a mission. He went there with a plan. He knew that there was something or someone that needed him that he needed to meet and encourage and love and encounter. And he did the same thing for you and me. He goes out of, our, out of his way to show you how much he loves you, to encounter you. And can I encourage you? What I see in this text is that Jesus is not surprised by our pain and our struggle. And if that's the one thing that is holding you back from a relationship with Jesus, man, he can't handle the things that I've been through, the past that I've come from. He's not surprised. He sees you. He cares about what you're going through. And he is in pursuit of you. And then we see his power on full display. On the sea, calms the wind and waves, showing that he is greater than everything in the natural world. And then he steps off the boat and he heals this man, showing that he is greater than not just the natural world, but the supernatural. Everything seen and unseen, Jesus is greater than. I love how Paul puts it in Romans 8, 38. He says, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell could separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we see that love on full display 2,000 some years ago when Jesus took a cross that wasn't meant for him. And in that moment, he bridged forever separation between us and God, making a way that we would have a relationship, that we could experience the hope and healing that is only in and through Jesus. And every time we gather, every time we have a service, we take a moment out of that service to reflect on that great sacrifice. In a moment, we're going to go into our time of communion. And it's in this moment where we'll take this bread that represents Christ's body that was broken for us. And we'll take this juice, which represents the blood that was shed for you and for me. And we get to reflect and remember this great love that he has for you and for me. So I want to invite you, uh, as we go into this song, to just sit back and, and, and reflect on this moment to together to take communion and Listen in to these lyrics as you take that communion. The lyrics say this. It says, my sin was deep. Your grace was deeper. My shame was wide. Your arms were wider. My guilt was great. But your love was greater still. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, we are... God, we're grateful that you are loving and that you are good and that you are God. And God, we may not understand all of these things that we experience in the natural world or in the supernatural. We 
We may not have answers to our suffering. We may not have all, all, all the explanations that we're looking for to get us through life. But God, could we be encouraged today? Could we be reminded in this moment how much you love us? Oh God, we're so grateful for it. Would that be what overwhelms us is, is your great love for each and every one of us. God, would you just remind every person in this room that they are not alone, that your, their identity is in you, and that they are significant. So God, if there's anybody in this room who's got some struggles, and maybe it's a struggle that has them, I just want to in this moment, God, just let go. Would we relinquish control? Would we stop trying to be the God of our lives? Would we stop trying to do it alone? Would we let go of the, of the bondages and the chains and the addictions and the things that hold us? And God, we trust that in this moment you step in and it's where you lovingly remind us that you are close, that you are good, and that we can have life abundantly. God, we love you. And we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.